0: So, Sam, are you, like, alternative now?
1: Alternative to what?
0: Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Tessa Suela, and with me are Dr. Sam Morris. Hello! And Andy Bowman. Hello. This week, Sam wonders when they'll finally get to sing My Way. Andy plays a cult classic story-based game that has never been released in English, and I finally learned how to read the playbook.
1: So proud.
0: All right, let's go ahead and dive right into what you did this week, Sam. What is the Sparks Brothers?
2: Oh, oh, I know this one. I I, I, I know this one, okay. It's It's the brothers who formed ACTC. We
1: apologize. Andy will no longer be a part of Monkey off my backlog. Ask me the question again.
0: What is the Sparks Brothers?
1: Well, Tessa, the Sparks Brothers is a 2021 documentary by Edgar Wright.
0: That's all you're going to say, huh? Okay, well, maybe you can finally answer the question, is Sparks a real band?
1: So, based on what we watched, I am now 95% sure that this isn't a big joke, that Sparks is a real band. I'm, I'm, I'm just about convinced that Sparks is an actual California art pop synth pop glam rock novelty band duo collective concept. These two brothers have collaborated with Todd Rundgren, who I am also ninety five percent sure is a real person. Jane Weedland, who played Joan of Arc in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, so she's real. Franz Ferdinand, the reanimated zombie ghost of a World War I central figure. And they are most recently screenwriters and composers for the film Annette, the weird musical thing on Amazon starring Adam Driver that Tessa wants to see. So yeah, I'm 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 fairly sure they're real.
0: So You listen to music. You like pop culture. There are a lot of people in this documentary that you've heard of before that you definitely know who love the band Sparks. So why haven't you listened to them?
1: Okay, so I'm no expert, but one thing I do know is that LA has a very vibrant music scene, but it is different from London, Manchester, New York, Chicago, Nashville, New Orleans, any city, Seattle, any city that you can think of that has an established musical identity. Here's some of the reasons why that's true. LA has managed to produce in the 60s, Buffalo Springfield, and the Doors, in the 70s, X and Los Lobos, in the 80s, Van Halen, NWA, Guns N' Roses, in the 90s, Weezer, Tupac, some of the most famous studios for recording. Paramount, Westlake, The Village, Sound City. Weird Al is from L.A. Warren Zebon did the thing with making L.A. a character in his songs. Join me in L.A. John Fogerty, not from L.A., actually from the Bay Area, but recorded... Bayou Country, and other albums and songs in which he pretended to be from New Orleans, you guessed it, in L.A. Phil Spector, Todd Rundgren, Nile Rogers, Rick Rubin, they all were prominent producers who did substantial work in L.A. Somehow, L.A. is everything, but also perceived as completely corporate and soulless at the same time. So, why haven't I listened to Sparks? It's a hard answer. But part of it is, they're from this area, and they've been making this kind of music that somehow hasn't made the same cultural impact, except it has, but only if you've heard of it. So, it's
2: kind of weird. So, Sam. Yeah. Are you telling me that you have never heard of the band Sparks?
1: I have literally never heard of the band Sparks, to my knowledge, until Edgar Wright started talking about them. Okay, it's true.
2: So, so, so wait, you didn't hear their 1972 album, uh, "Tweet uh, Woofer in Tweeter's Clothes? No. You didn't hear any of these singles, Wonder Girl, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us, Girl from Germany, Amateur Hour, Talent is an Asset, Never Turn Your Back on Mother Earth. Propaganda, something for the girl with everything. Ah, chew And I didn't just sneeze there. That was the title of the song. Get in the swing. Looks, looks, looks. I want to hold your hand. Big boy. I like girls over the summer. A big surprise. La dolce vita. No. Well, yeah. Before the documentary, I hadn't either. So interesting.
0: I mean, from what I've, what I've heard, this is like one of the most influential bands that no one has ever really heard of. So, are you going to listen to them now?
1: Here's the thing. Have I heard of Sparks? No. Have I ever listened to Sparks? No. But Tessa, to borrow a line from George Bailey, you're thinking of Sparks all wrong. As if their music was only on their albums. The music's not there. Sparks is in Duran Duran's music, right next to a band you like. And in the music of Sonic Youth, and Beck's music, and a hundred others.
0: But really, are you going to listen to them?
1: I mean, they have songs called Computer Girl, Everybody's Stupid, the number one song in heaven, and Cool Places, featuring Jane Wheatland of the Go-Go's. Yeah. I'm going to. And I know what we're doing for the next segment, so I'm going to save
2: a little bit for that. But yes, sure. Why wouldn't I? What about their album Gratuitous Sax and Senseless Violins?
0: They do have some really great album titles, but now that we have that settled, what did you think about the documentary?
1: This is the best music documentary I've seen since Dave Grohl's documentary about Sound City, which is another famous studio just outside of L.A. It is so famous that when nobody was going to preserve it, Dave Grohl bought the board from the studio, carted it a few miles down the road, and created a new studio called 606. That is the legacy of L.A. It's somehow everything and completely disposable at the same time. It's it's very bizarre. This is the best documentary since then. I mean, Edgar Wright is just a great director and his movie that's coming up later this fall is one of the ones that I'm going to be crushed the most by about if I can't go see. And this was great. This was an awesome documentary. It was great getting to see all these people who actually care about this band who were paying attention and, and, and have heard them and been influenced by them. And And it was just, Edgar Wright cares so much about music that this is the thing that he should have done. I'm glad that he did it. It was was just fascinating to see, you know, these two brothers who were, you know, who grew up in California and were influenced by those great rebels, Bill Haley and his Comets, but also the Who and Pink Floyd and the Kinks. And then they influenced in turn... Rush, REO Speedwagon, Pet Shop Boys, Human League, Spandau Ballet, New Order, Depeche Mode, They Might Be Giants, Faith No More, Bjork, and all the others that I mentioned before. It's just, it's like, how could I not know that these people existed? It's like, all I could think of was Weird Al the entire time. Because, and he's also in the documentary. But Weird Al is this kid who grew up in L.A., and loved music, and all he wanted to do was emulate, create, innovate all this music that he heard. And he chose this full-on novelty route and got super famous. Everybody knows who Weird Al is. A lot of people don't know that Weird Al is actually an incredible musician. The Sparks Brothers had the exact same story. Like, uncannily similar up to the point where they were not super famous but they still did they're still considered by many to be a novelty act just like Weird Al but also just like Weird Al they're ridiculously talented it's a fascinating comparison and it could have gone farther in that Edgar Wright could have gone farther in that direction I'm glad he didn't because that's not what this documentary is but it's all I could think about the entire time is it is so weird. Pun not intended. Who in this business becomes well-known and who doesn't? It sure isn't based on who deserves it. Kind of an accident, but you know what? Better late than never. The world may be falling apart, we may all be dead in 18 months, but at least between now and then, we have sparks. And finally, in the near future, to quote the bard, I see... Sparks fly.
0: All right. On that note, our discussion question today, are which actually links in pretty well with what you were just talking about, are things you wish you were more into. Andy, what is something that you feel like you should like, but you just don't? Old. Old? Like the film old, or just oldness as a concept?
2: Uh... Old movies, old. If it's older than me, I'm not into it. I wish I was.
0: That's fair. That is absolutely fair. Sam, what is something you should like but you don't?
1: Are you really ready to hear this answer? Are you sure you don't want
2: to go first? Oh, I, I do have, uh, I do have something. Star Trek. Not into it. Don't care.
0: But you feel like you should like it. Like, what parts of it feel like something that you should like?
2: It's sci-fi with, uh, you know, focus on the hard sci-fi. Uh, stuff I like. I, I like all that. I, I I just, you know, original series, next generation, uh, everything but the J.J. Abrams movies, I, I just don't care about at all. I I can't get into it. I don't care about Picard. I don't care about... uh. Kirk, Janeway, I really don't care about Janeway. really don't care about Worf or Q or or any of them. I mean, Spock, okay, whatever. Uh, if it doesn't have the Beastie Boys uh, soundtrack in it, I, or on the soundtrack, I really don't care.
0: And that's fair. I just feel like there are some things that, you just like on paper, this is something you should really like, but you just no, can't no. get uh, into see, it.
2: See, I, I also, I don't think any of it's good. Okay, I I I don't think any of it is good or worthwhile watching. I It's not just that I don't care. I just Meh.
0: All right, Sam. Lay it on us.
2: First of all, I
1: don't like hard science fiction, but you know, Star Trek is okay. So, you don't have to lie to protect Tessa. I usually don't. So, back to Sparks. <laughs> For a minute.
2: Didn't we just finish this conversation?
1: We did, but then she asked me a question, so we're right back to where we were. So, we're watching season two of Lost, and every time there's a Charlie flashback, he just goes on and on and on about the Kinks. And so, like, the Kinks are a good band, okay? Muswell Hillbillies is probably the best album you've never listened to, other than anything the Sparks created. But I'm not going to listen to the Kinks' discography. They were doing country rock at the time that all the big names of country rock were doing it, and Ray Davies was as good or better at it than everyone else. I know all that's true, but I'm only going to listen to All Day and All the Night and You Really Got Me and maybe Lola for a bit, and that's it.
2: What about the Weird Al version, Yoda?
1: It, that's why I listen to Lola, just because I know the Weird Al version. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. But that's the, that's the real secret here. I love music. We all know this. I don't have enough time to listen to it and obsess over it as much as I did, sadly. And I got to tell you guys something. I, I'm going to admit to something right here, right now, okay? And this goes back to why I haven't heard Sparks before. And it pains me to say it, but deep down I know it's true, and I know you all will be shocked. I'm just not that cool. What? I listen to what I listen to because my parents had it on. And then when I left the house, when I turned on MTV, I heard new things, and I listened to that. I can tell you every album that the Beatles made in order. I can probably get the track listings pretty close to right. I still remember most of the lyrics. Same thing's true with Pearl Jam. That's it. I can't give you a real deep dive on any other band. I can tell you a lot about Neil Young, but there's still entire albums of his that I've never heard. The Monkees, right? After Mike left the group, they made one more album in 70, I believe, called Changes. I've never heard it. Me and Magdalena is a great song that they made right after Davy Jones died. Uh, It was an album that uh, that was produced by Adam Schlesinger, who I also really like. But I haven't heard that more than two times, nor have I listened to most of Fountains of Wayne. Olivia Newton-John. There are whole entire albums I haven't listened to. I love Springsteen, Dylan, I haven't heard all of their stuff, much less can quote it to you backward and forward. Like maybe I think I should be able to. So that's, that's the answer. Things I wish I was more into. There are many, many artists that I wish I could tell you about their catalogs and biography backward and forward. Like I can kind of do with the Beatles and Pearl Jam, but I still don't know everything there is to know. I would love to devote my entire life to that, but sadly I can't. So, there you go. In conclusion,
2: listen to Sparks. Watch the
1: documentary.
2: Hey, Tessa, so what about you? You, you asked us this painful question that I wasn't expecting. Out of nowhere, you just went and... What about you? What do you want to be more into?
0: how shocking this is going to be, but something that I wish I was more into is the works of something I wish I was more into are the works of Dennis Villeneuve.
2: Okay. His name is Villeneuve.
1: Villeneuve Campbell?
2: Dennis Denis Villeneuve. I'm not I'm not even joking. I actually know how to pronounce his name.
1: (laughs) Fair
0: enough. Fair enough. I do not know how to pronounce his name and I don't really like his films. I should like his films. They are science fiction. They are high concept science fiction. I love Blade Runner. I should have liked Blade Runner 2049 more than I did. I should have liked Arrival more than I did. What about Sicario? I I haven't seen Sicario. What about,
2: uh, hold on, hold on. What about let's, enemy? Let's,
0: let's, what about let's the not 1986? Let's not let's not do into whataboutism right now. I just don't like his movies. I think they're very pretty. I think he is technically really great at hiring good cinematographers. I I don't think they have very much of a soul to them, though.
2: I don't think you can you can say that when you've only seen two of his movies.
1: First of all, I think he can.
0: I can say whatever I want about him after watching two movies. I don't have to watch more to know that these movies are just going to be really pretty and have no soul to them because I just I know it and I'm really afraid that Dune is going to be the same way.
2: Well, thank God Although, you don't have any tattoos on your body referencing Dune.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Dune is a book and that's what the tattoo is for, but you know, whatever.
1: Andy you're the one. Read books.
0: You're the one who doesn't like Star Trek, so I don't. I don't really no, know no, what no, to no, say no, to no, you no. about this one.
2: See, it's not. Is that just that I don't like Star Trek? I think Star Trek is actively bad, guys.
1: This is and a judgment-free zone. I was going to say. And you're
0: actively wrong, anyway. <laughs>
2: Judgment free zone. Listeners listeners can't see this, but Tessa has been flipping me off for the the entirety (laughs) of this segment. Look,
0: look, you can, you can. Look, you don't have to like Star Trek. Like, that's fine. Like, like what you like. I'm okay with that. Doesn't hurt my feelings. But I don't think you can actively say Star Trek is bad when it has one of the first and most active fandoms in the world. Like,
2: oh, (laughs) you're you're right. Twilight, definitely a classic. See, I got you. One of the most active fandoms on Tumblr.
0: No, no, I'm no Tw- Twilight. I'm not engaging. I'm not engaging with this anymore. You are doing. I this am to trying
2: upset so me. hard.
1: Can't <laughs> just... Hi, everybody. Sam here. I know I'm known for causing trouble in real life, and not very many people like me. But in this moment, I am the least obnoxious person on this podcast i don't know that either of them are angry with me anymore which they probably were a few minutes ago so in my role as peacemaker please stop
2: why can't we be friends wasn't that a song by uh who who did that song i know real big fish did a cover of that song
0: all I'm gonna say is the question was things you wish you were more into, but it doesn't sound like you wish you were more into Star Trek. You just want oh, no. to irk me.
2: No, no, no. I, I, I actually I, I wish I wish I saw the value in it. I wish I knew what people thought was good about it. I, I wish I I, I I like understood and could empathize with individuals on that you level.
0: The, so what you're saying is you want the joy that Trekkies have.
2: Right. And and as I'm saying this. As I'm saying this, I am realizing my critical mistake, my absolute terrible mistake, because we do have a Tessa Assigns coming up, and now I am terrified.
0: Yeah. I, I would be.
1: Oh. Tessa, I want to put in a special request. I want a-, a tweet appended onto the regular tweet for this episode. <laughs> in which you use the gif from the Simpsons of Homer kicking the turtle <laughs> <laughs> which Tessa hasn't seen that episode but for everybody who has you uh, you get it you you guys get it this is cuz i made fun of you isn't it
0: yeah it is and now andy gets to ask me questions so i'm real glad i structured uh, the episode
2: uh, this way my cheeks are hurt so bad
1: <laughs> i'm going to go walk around the block i'll huh? <laughs> be uh.
2: Okay, Tess. <laughs> what did you watch this week?
0: I watched the 2009 film *Whip It*.
2: Uh, is that about the drug?
0: No, there are no drugs in the making of this movie, except for whatever Drew Barrymore was smoking.
2: Okay, so Drew Barrymore is in it. So this is, you know, um, uh, probably an Adam Sandler vehicle as well.
0: No. It actually is Drew Barrymore's directorial debut, and the the screenplay was written by Shawna Cross, who adapted it from her novel "Derby Girl," about becoming part of the roller derby scene in Austin, Texas, in the early two thousands.
2: Wait, wait, okay. I actually, I, I'm actually like really curious now. Is roller derby actually something that that happens, or? Was that like just a weird lesbian phobic joke that kept popping up uh, in pop culture?
0: No, roller derby is an actual sport. It still exists. Like, it still happens. That is terrifying. Uh, Yeah, it is a full contact roller skate, roller rink sport that generally is championed by women. And. It's a it is a full contact terrifying sport in which two teams of up to 5 women on roller skates on on you know not not even inline skates actual roller skates try to pass each other and try to prevent each other from passing each other on the roller rink.
2: So just to make sure this is not a weird sci-fi thing like rollerball. No, this is not the sports equivalent
1: of sparks. Quick story. This is this is a true story, by the way. So when I was working on my master's degree way back when, I uh, one of the people in my cohort was was this girl from uh, near Flint, Michigan, and um, I I am still straight up terrified of this person, like barbed wire tattoo, like the most aggressive northern attitude I have ever come across. I was so intimidated by her. I wasn't sure if she actually liked me or wanted to beat me up, and I'm frankly still not sure. Um, I called her an iconoclast. That is still, I believe, to this day, her description on Facebook, like, attributed to me. So when she left Knoxville to go back up to Michigan, she became a derpy girl. She has since retired, but has become an announcer for the derby much like jimmy fallon's character except probably less likely to get beat up by a derby girl and i know that i know that jackie's probably not listening to this but if you are i'm still afraid you're going to beat me up please don't beat me up you're pretty cool and that's and that's the story of roller derby hey
2: tessa please don't beat me up <laughs> You're pretty cool. This
0: is the Star Trek portion of this episode. Was actually my villain origin story. Like the rest of the movie is, or like the next scene of the movie is a montage in which I join roller derby and like train, <laughs> so that way I can come to your house and beat the crap out of you.
2: I, I just swear to
1: me- God, if you turn Tessa into Joker, I am gonna be so angry with you. Oh, I I just imagine walking, especially my dog. the walking Phoenix version, or the Jared Leto. They've ruined Joker.
2: Walking my dog in the middle of the night and just hearing the the plastic, you know, <laughs> roller <laughs> skates on concrete and being afraid, knowing that my time has finally come.
0: <laughs> the skates. You're, you're like, you're like restrained, like at the hospital with all of the, all the bruises and cuts and like broken ribs. The skates, the skates.
2: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So Whippet is this film? It's something to do with roller <laughs> derby. It might have Jimmy Fallon in it. Uh, what? 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 What is Whippet about?
0: So Whippet is about a girl named Bliss Kavanaugh, who is played by Elliot Page. This was back when he was still billed as Ellen Page who lives in a tiny, tiny Texas town called Bodine, right outside of Austin. Bodine is known for its pageant scene. That's where like a big, uh, I think it's called the Bluebell pageant happens every year. And Bliss is sort of grown up with a pageant mom who wants both of her daughters to be in these pageants. But she is really kind of suffering in this small town under the pageant, uh, not just the pageant scene, but also like these expectations of womanhood. There's a lot about the patriarchy in this film, although we'll talk about that here in a minute. But she encounters the, the nearby sport of roller derby in Austin one day when she's shopping in Austin and she falls in love with it. She wants to be part of it. And so she starts training to be part of this team called the Hurl Scouts. There's lots of puns in these movies. They are great. But this team has... Women on it like Kristen Wiig, Juliette Lewis. Actually, Juliette w- Lewis is the the head of the rival team. Drew Barrymore uh, plays a, a role in this film. Her 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 roller derby name is Smashley Simpson, which is like one of the <laughs> best roller derby names I think of all time. Uh, Aaliyah Shawkat plays her best friend, who sort of supports her in this. So she, like, it's sort of that sports movie where she's lying to her parents about where she is at night, but she's going and she's training for this specific roller derby and gets really into the sport.
1: Hey Tessa, I know that you, you, so you, you before I could, I could tell Andy that maybe he knew the person who played Paige's best friend. But you haven't spoiled the other big cast member who plays their coach. Is it someone whose siblings we are familiar
2: with? Oh, oh, wait, wait. I know this one. It's the entirety of the band Devo. No, it
0: is Andrew Wilson, brother to Luke and Owen Wilson. He sounds exactly like them in this film. But he plays their coach. He has like a playbook that has 10 different plays that they refuse to memorize. And so at one point, he just tears out one of the plays and gives it to the other team to demonstrate like how good his plays are. It's awesome. He's a very funny character. Jimmy Kimmel, like Sam mentioned, plays the announcer. Sorry. Sorry. Jimmy Fallon. Plays, there are two
1: different there people. There are two different probably.
0: people. Yes, he plays the announcer. This is probably at the same time that he and Kristen Wiig were still on Saturday Night Live. And so you can kind of see that uh, chemistry there. Marsha Gay-Hayden plays Bliss's... Harden. Harden. Plays Bliss's mom. Apparently I'm just like mispronouncing names all over the place today. So this is like a really stellar cast. Like they're all doing such a great job. And what I really loved about it is that they all play to their strengths. Elliot Page is just this like this is post-Juno, so there, you know, he's playing this very like alternative, that was the line from the beginning, type of of girl who's trying to figure out sort of where she belongs. She's really struggling with the patriarchy in this town through her mother and through the pageantry aspect of it. In fact, like the villain of this film is kind of these patriarchal concepts, but they're being enforced by women, not by men. So it's kind of about like white womanhood and the way that these sort of uh, expectations and the way that uh, mothers try to live out their dreams through their daughters. Um, it's very, very interesting in that way. But it's also very funny. Like Kristen Wig is hilarious, but she's not wacky. She's not playing like a stereotype. She's playing like a really grounded person. Uh, Drew Perrymore is so funny in this. She like leans into like this really stoner but really aggressive persona. Like half the time when she's off the rink, she's like, you know, whoa, man. But when she's on the rink, she's like throwing punches and they have to like pull her off of like other players. Well, it's, she's
2: probably on ketamine then.
0: it's it is very, very funny. It, it gives me glow vibes. Um, So if you liked the show Glow, this is definitely a film that has some of those same vibes to it because roller derby is such a like feminist or not feminist, but it's a feminine centered sport. It is definitely, you know, supported and played by, by women. There is this really strong idea of like feminine bonding in it, even though it is such an aggressive and violent sport.
1: So I think that for those of you who have seen Major League, I think if you like, Took Charlie Sheen's character, the Wild Thing, and split him into two. And like halved his personality. Half of it is Jamie Tart from Ted Lasso. And then the other half is Smashley Simpson. <laughs> like, if you put those two together, you've got that character from Major League. Now, Tessa, one I have a question for you. Because you've mentioned just about everybody from the cast, except for Mr. Falling in love at a coffee shop himself. The love interest. Would you would you care to talk about Mr. Pig a little bit?
0: So Landon Pig plays the love interest. And that is one of my critiques about this movie. I only have two. One of them is, is that the storyline with Landon Pig's character, who is this like singer-songwriter dude in Texas who's sort of attached to the roller derby scene... They, they kind of get to know each other during like these after parties that the roller derby scene has. It just didn't feel necessary and it didn't feel like it really fit the character very well because the way that the roller derby is presented in this film, it's really a way for Bliss to explore both her more aggressive side, both her uh sort of her more alternative and feminine side than the pageantry but also it's sort of the way that it's framed is more of a sexual awakening than it is just like oh i really like this as a sport like you know there's a scene where she's in the shop and she first sees the roller derby girls come in and they're all in these fishnets and like they're they're wearing their their skates and these short skirts and they're just it's it it, it is portrayed in this way where she realizes that she has more in common with them than she does with anybody else. And it is portrayed as this, like, sexual awakening. And that made me really wish that this was a more queer movie than it was. I wanted Landon Pig's character to actually be a woman because guess what? Women can be indie, you know, singer-songwriters who are assholes. Like, you know, it, it, it can actually, you can actually do that. Or I just wish they wouldn't have had it at all, that, that this would have focused on the roller derby. Otherwise, it just felt really tacked on, and it didn't really feel like it was part of the character.
2: So what you're saying is you want uh, Whip It as written by uh, Kate Chopin? Or Kate Chopin?
0: Chopin! <laughs> <laughs> sure. sure. The other thing, too, is that this film... This could have leaned more into the male gaze, but instead it kind of makes a joke out of the male gaze. Like there are definitely men at this roller derby who are there to see like the scantily clad women like throw down. Wait, they're
2: scantily clad too?
0: And, oh yeah. And uh, they're all wearing fishnets and short skirts and they all have like dyed hair and they all put on like the makeup. It's very much a performance, just like wrestling is, except for you actually are making contact during the sport. Wrestling I mean, like, it's more of a performance and people aren't supposed to be hurt by the end of it. Like, even, like, Jimmy Fallon's character, who, again, is more restrained than he normally would be, but he's playing a character who's definitely, like, there for the girls, right? Like, he's, he's like, hitting on them a little bit. You know, he, he says, you know, at one point, like, I don't know whether to break up the fight or film it. So there's that. But it's also... Kind of in like inverted because even though that's there, it is the butt of a joke. Like that is not the point of roller derby for these women, and these women are much more invested in each other than they are in the attention. Like they're they're sort of making the attention more into a performance than they are taking validation from it and so i i really appreciated that about this film as well it has a killer soundtrack like i want to go back and listen to this soundtrack again it is like everything that you would want from like power pop in the uh in the early 2000s it's so so good in that way my only other critique i have one other critique and this is a bill and ted critique you know how there's one thing in bill and ted that you don't like sam
1: well, I'm not going to say it.
0: There's a homophobic slur in Bill and Ted, which prevents Bill and Ted from being a perfect movie. There is a transphobic slur in Whip It, which prevents it from being quite as good as it could be. It definitely took me out of the moment to hear Aaliyah Shaquat's character say that. But it's only once and it is very, very brief. But I do have to mention it as being, like, the thing that, like, disturbed me the most during this film.
1: And, you know, it's funny, too, because I really hate that in Bill and Ted. But the level to which they retroactively address it in later, in a later film, I think kind of recovers it a little bit. The interesting thing about Whippet is the level of irony that didn't exist explicitly to people watching that movie that the character that Paige plays her best friend would be the one making that joke so it kind of reads a whole lot differently now um in this you know still takes you out of the moment but it's also got that really weird ironic time is turning in on itself kind of situation i don't know this is pretty clearly an awesome movie andy you're in the wrong for not having seen it
0: yeah, I would say if you like Glow, if you really like that scene in Birds of Prey where Harley Quinn is doing roller derby and you want a whole movie that's more like that, this is the movie for you. It made me want to watch Roller Derby. This is one of the ver- the this is one of the very few sports films that I actually legitimately enjoyed.
1: Just remember, I also get an episode to assign things. And I just want you all to remember that if you're not first, you're last. Andy, what the heck is Mother Three? And what happened to Mother One and Mother Two? Wait, Mother One's alien, right? She's the the corporation, right?
2: <laughs> I don't know why. I'm so giggly today. I'm Ron Burgundy. So Mother 1, it was a game for the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System in Japan that never came out in America. Mother 2 was a game for the Super uh, Nintendo Entertainment System or Super Famicom in, uh, in Japan uh, that was released here uh, in America and in Europe under the name Earthbound. Oh,
1: I know Earthbound. That game's cool. Yeah, and you can play, and you can play as Ness in Super Smash Brothers.
2: That's right, that's right. And Mother Three is the sequel for the Game Boy Advance for to uh, Earthbound that never came out in America for reasons, or in English, or anywhere else. But we got Cyberpunk, so we 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 did get Cyberpunk and. The demands for the localization of Mother 3 have gone so far uh, as to reach Terry Crews, who tweeted out, Localize Mother 3. People people want this game. We want it very badly. So, so much
1: like Cyberpunk on PlayStation 4, it's pretty hard to get a hold of this game and play it, I imagine. So how did that happen for you?
2: Well... It's actually very, 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 very easy to get a hold of this game and play it because the internet exists. And because the internet exists, um, fans did a translation of this game. And I, I, I need to make people understand how weird this is that fans translated this game, put it out, and Nintendo as a company is known as being incredibly litigious about fan projects. They have never said a word about this project. They have made jokes about it. They have made references to it and know that people want Mother 3 and they know it's there. If you if you Google Mother 3 English patch, the guides are there for exactly how to do it. Um, Nintendo just does not care
1: so really quickly before i ask you about your experience playing the game i just have two quick follow-up questions Mm -hmm. so you mentioned the internet Mm -hmm. now i have heard that described as a a series of tubes that that is correct right close enough okay and and two nintendo now this is the same nintendo that used to make playing cards is that also correct
2: that 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 it actually yes that is correct
1: oh i know uh my i i as a child i once stumbled upon a deck of cards that my parents have that are nintendo playing cards like i should have kept those but i didn't but yeah so anyway all right mother 3 i i imagine it's it's game of the century material or at least better than cyberpunk
2: okay so, so Mother 3 uh, was originally released in 2006. <laughs> um,
1: Which is about how long Cyberpunk has been in production,
2: is that correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just about. So um, one of the things about Earthbound and...
0: I would I would try to defend you here, Andy, but after your Star Trek comment, I'm I'm letting Sam do whatever he wants.
2: Oh, that, that, that's fine. So, so Earthbound was uh, the I- basic idea for the setting of all this is that instead of instead of doing a Japanese RPG where you're saving the world in a medieval setting, Earthbound is set in uh, American suburbia, where you play a uh, you know a 12-year-old boy named Ness who goes on an adventure to save the world. And this adventure is full of goofy little hijinks and puns and uh, some incredibly touching moments, but one of the famous jokes in Earthbound is you pick up a pencil eraser at one point in the game, right? So it's just a pencil eraser. And you're going through the game for the rest of the game, and all of a sudden, this Iron statue is blocking your way. And it's an iron statue of a pencil. So, you can't you can't get around it. It's this giant iron statue of a pencil. So, if you use the pencil eraser on it, the statue gets erased. It is one of the dumbest and most clever jokes I have ever ever experienced and Mother 3 is the emotional climax uh of, of earthbound and uh you play as the smash brothers character lucas and a bunch of other people including a, a little monkey named salsa a the bassist for a um a uh acdc like band named dcmc who uh his name is duster it's it's such a wonderful wonderful little story and all the enemies pretty much are joke names um for, and one of these early on made me laugh so hard and made my wife laugh so hard because it's the most obvious gag in the world but there's a half snake half chicken monster what would you name a half snake half chicken monster a a a snake
0: Shake.
2: Slither hen see I oh that's come on. Do, does that not hurt how clever that is? I'm offended. So so a- anyway, the uh the game is is a- about Lucas's journey to save his small town and eventually the world from uh a invading army of of um people who all their uh, armor and stuff the they're pigs, right? So so their their armor is uh, pig like and they make mention their, their leader makes mention to like, yeah, you're your your peaceful your peaceful little ways without money like like have come to an end, and then there's a time skip and his town becomes more materialistic and everything, and that's when I realize the enemy's America. This isn't imperialism.
1: Just like in Clue, communism was a red herring.
2: Yeah, but one one of one of the things is there's a um there's a stretch of the game where you have to go underwater, and as you're underwater, you're fighting these these pig uh, armies and, and pig soldiers, and their names are Navy Squeals. Yeah. Just just the the <clears throat> density <clears throat> of the uh of the humor in this game, and how much work the local the fan translators had to have done to make this game function with all of its puns and in, intact. It's insane to me. And also this is one of the most heartbreaking games I've ever played. I cannot believe how this game was specifically designed to just break the character's heart or break your heart as the player. And it even asks you your name. It says, Hey you. Yeah. The one behind the controller. What's your name? And then that comes back later in like one of the most heart-wrenching sequences ever. All right.
1: I bought my first Nintendo. I bought several games for it, including Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy two, Final Fantasy three, or at least what they were called here. My brother started playing those He got Mystic Quest, which we talked about before. But as I was kind of phasing out of video games, he started picking up a lot more role-playing games. And the two that I remember that he got me into during that time when I wasn't playing much was Chrono Trigger and Earthbound. Mm. I stopped playing video games pretty much all together for a while. And then after I'd finished grad school, he came to visit... And brought this little game called Grand Theft Auto Vice City with him. And I started playing games again, but I never wanted to look backward. I only wanted to play games that looked cool. And, you know, I didn't want to go back to 8 bit, 16 bit, you know, 32 bit. I, I didn't want to go back. I mean, like, if I had a chance to play Slappers only, I would. But, you know, I, I squealed with delight the other day. They're finally remaking and remastering. City, so I'm. I'm gonna go back to that. But as somebody who wished Cyberpunk wasn't terrible, because it should look and play good. Is it worth my time to go back to Earthbound? I mean, Mother,
2: Mother Two, Earth or Earthbound, is definitely worth your time. I would say you have to go back to it on an emulator though, because emulators have this magical function called. A fast forward button where the game goes to times four speed and for certain segments of, of games when uh, especially Japanese RPGs when you're trying to get stronger just to get through uh, this kind of padding um, it is exactly what you need to enjoy this oh I I remember I remember so and and I did I did uh, my wife had never played Earthbound so I made her play this before we went on to this Mother Three game, which I've been waiting for years, just hoping that Nintendo would officially announce it, and finally gave up, uh, gave up hope. And there, there are reasons why Nintendo won't uh, localize it. But um, if you like puns, if you like truly heartwarming stories, if you like just the density of jokes in both Earthbound and Mother Three, is it's, it's insane. I, I rarely could stop laughing about just some of the dumbest jokes that I'd ever experienced. They're childish, but they're still beautiful. There's, um, instead of treasure chests around the world, there are presents, right? You find these presents and you open them up. And in some of them, there's just abstract ideas like a reggae rhythm, right? So you just, the music changes. It's like you open the present. It was a reggae rhythm. At one point in in the game, there's this really there's this enemy that keeps running away from you. And I got really frustrated. I was like, okay, come on, I gotta get this enemy. I gotta get him. And I finally got the enemy, and I finally killed him. And instead of giving me experience, it says, You had a good experience. And that was it. The basis for the band that you get, they keep saying how he's the basis for this band. And you know, it's a hard rocking band. And you get there and you see them in action and he's playing a giant jazz bass. The rest of the band is totally just uh, you know, rock uh, rock guitars and everything but he just has this giant jazz bass. It is I, I am so surprised with how much of my expectations were subverted. Even if you don't really like video games I think it's worth experiencing just for the humor and the heart and in both Earthbound and this.
1: All right, so you heard it here. If you like puns, heartwarming stories, and jokes, play Earthbound and Mother 3. If you like puns, heartwarming stories, and jokes, listen to Sparks. If you like puns, heartwarming stories, and jokes, watch Whip It. And, finally, if you like puns, heartwarming stories, And jokes.
0: Tune in next week. We were inspired by Sam's recent foray into Wong Kar Wai and by Tony Leung's breathtaking performance in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We will be joined by Wong Kar Wai superfan Jack for a Wong Kar Wai-themed episode. Plus, we will have... The first ever episodes of our new spin-off podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, Nigel, longtime friend of the podcast, and I will be reading through all 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld series. So the first two episodes of that will be available next week. Where can we find you, Andy?
2: You can find me on Twitter
1: at Andy Noted. Sam? You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine.
0: You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Swayla Tessa. Swayla is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. Send us your thoughts about the pop culture we talked about today, what you've crossed off your list lately, and what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on Scott Holmes Music. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get that monkey off your back!